All right, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started here, and, and anybody that needs the copies, you can go back and see uh, Rodney. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and open up with a word of prayer here, and then we'll try to get things, uh, things rolling. We have a lot of ground to try to cover, cover today, so let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we just uh, ask your blessing upon it. It's great to be here together, and, and Lord, we just want to worship you and praise you for who you are and everything that you've done. And, and so, Father, we just pray that today would be a great day, and we just ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, those of you who have copies, I uh, just got like a n- brief little note on those. Obviously, the uh, lesson plan is one of them. Uh, I also thought it would be helpful today to uh, give you a, a, a listing of definitions uh, because we're going to be using these, you know, some of these terms, and some of them are not necessarily common uh, terms. Also, some of the terms are, are very difficult to define, uh, uh, particularly things, you know, cult, new age, they are va- actually very difficult uh, words to define. Um, and then also there is a listing of, and by the way, you have to understand, this is basically a survey today. There's almost an endless number of cults. Like it's just, it, even just in the Western world, in the English lang- language, it's, it's staggering. Um, you know, the more I looked into this, the more daunting this uh, particular <laughs> class was. Uh, I, I, I probably spent seven hours or more yesterday just writing things up uh, for this. I mean, it, it just is vast. Uh, and so I just thought it would be helpful to list some of the kind of more common cults that you'll see out there. Uh, also, I differentiated between cults and false religions. Not everybody does. Some for the purpose just of kind of Christian analysis keeps them all together. Uh, but technically, uh, you know, they're, they're generally listed separately, so I listed them separately. Uh, and again, that's not all the religions of the world either. Uh, I also gave you some kind of... Uh, New Age cults, cults that are like, you know, kind of part of the New Age movement, uh, and and uh, some New Age kind of gurus that you'll hear their names out there, uh, and and also uh, kind of uh, parts of like what is called the Human Potential movement, uh, and, and then uh, I gave you some key words to beware of. Now, not all of those key words are necessarily bad things in and of themselves. Obviously, you see the. The, the, the phrase, the Christ in there, obviously that is not bad. The point about those, those words are, is when you see them pop up or if you hear them in conversation with someone, you need to pay attention and make sure they're talking about the same thing that you're talking about. Because that's one of the key things with the cult and the new age, they, they will redefine terms. So they will say to you, oh yeah, we believe in, in, the, in the same thing you do, uh, but if you press a little harder and you ask for like a definition, well, what do you mean when you say the Christ, who are you talking about? Are you talking about the Jesus of the Bible who died for, for our sins? It, you know, and, and, oh, well, no, 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 we don't believe that. And so, you know, that's why the cults at times become very tough to minister to because they're constantly redefining terms. So I, I thought uh, Walter Martin in one of his books listed and there's actually more. I, I, I <laughs> wrote down like there's got to be like 100 different words there, and there was still more to go. And I thought, well, at some point i got to stop here. 
Uh, but I thought it would be helpful for you to see that and kind of, uh, you know, know that that is, that, that those are some key words to kind of keep your eyes open for. And we'll refer back to that from time to time here this morning. What we're going to talk about today is cults, the occult, and the new age. Now, we are not going to spend much time talking about the occult today because we'll talk more about that next week. Next week is kind of our like pre-Halloween class, so ghosts and goblins and ghouls, oh my, that is next week, okay? Uh, so we'll talk more about like the occult in that, but we do need to touch on it at least a bit today because believe it or not, the cults and the new age, especially the new age, really touch on elements of the occult also, all right? And so we're, we'll define those terms. Um, Let's begin by talking about a definition of the of a cult. What is a cult? You know, when we say that. Now, the interesting thing about like most de- most words have multiple definitions. And the word cult didn't start off with a negative connotation. It kind of comes from the same uh, root in Latin that we get the term cultivation from. Um, it, it you know, and it, it carries. It's still in, in, in some languages, you know, the, the idea carries, uh, you know, the, the weight of things like cultivation and, or, or culture, uh, same, same root that culture comes from, education. Uh, and so it didn't start out with like negative terms. As it moved through Latin into the French language, that is where we get it in English. It came from like Latin to French and then into English. Uh, and, and even through that, there are ways that the term is sometimes used that are not negative. Um, you know, we use it culturally all the time. You hear someone talk about a cult of personality. That is not always a, a bad phrase. They don't mean a, a negative thing. They just mean to say, man, look at how popular that person is. You know, and, and, and so we do use it that way sometimes. Or we say something has a cult following. We don't necessarily mean that, oh my goodness, that is a literal cult. We mean, man, that movie, like nobody saw that coming, and now all of a sudden everybody's going to see that movie. You know, I mean, this summer, the, 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 the Sound of Freedom, you know, would be titled as like a cult following, a, uh, you know, not that there's anything, you know, necessarily not saying anything negative about it. They're just saying, oh my goodness, nobody saw that coming, and now all of a sudden it has this like huge following. Perfect example in today's culture, Taylor Swift, the Swifties. You know, and people would call that a cult of personality. They're not saying anything necessarily negative about her, that she means anything nefarious. They're just saying that, man, like she ha- has this incredible like following of people who are very committed to, you know, to, to her and what she does. Cult is even used technically some by biblical scholars because one of its original meanings was talking about simply the apparatus or, or, or the function of how a religion works. So like there's been times I've been reading like, a, like Old Testament commentaries on something and they'll start talking about the cult of Yahweh worship. Now they're not talking negatively, they're not saying, oh my goodness, it was a cult. No, they're saying, that they're, they're talking about the apparatus of it. Like, like what were, you know, how did they do sacrifices and how did they do this and how did they do that? So the word is still used in a technical sense by scholars. 
I can tell you the first time I encountered that, it, it kind of threw me a little bit. I was like, what in the world is going on here? And then I, you know, I came to realize, that, oh, okay. There is still a very technical sense in which this term is used. However, mostly for in, in our uh, kind of vernacular, it, it, it carries a very negative connotation. And I, I want to read a couple you know, definitions. This is from Oxford Languages, which is you know, associated with the Oxford English Dictionary, which is kind of like the, you know, like the dictionary for the English language. It's called a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Merriam-Webster uh, refers to cults as a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious, which basically means false. Britannica, a small religious group that is not part of a larger and, uh, and more accepted religion and that has beliefs regarded by many people as extreme or dangerous. You get the idea, the, 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 you know, three of the top sources for definitions in the English language all kind of have very similar definitions, basically saying the same thing. <coughs> from a Christian perspective and from a, 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 also a secular perspective, I want to read two more definitions. One is Wikipedia, which does not always do a great job, but sometimes it does a fantastic job. That's the strange thing about Wikipedia. Um, you know, th I thought they did a great job on this because they're far more descriptive. So let me read, read their uh, definition. It says, called is a term in most contexts pejorative, which just means negative, uh, for a relatively small group which is typically led by a charismatic and self-appointed leader who excessively controls its members requiring unwavering devotion to a set of beliefs and practices which are considered deviant or outside the norms of society. This term is also used for new religious movements uh, or other social groups which is, is defined by its unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs and rituals. You know, Wikipedia for, for once nailed it. Um, now, how about from a Christian perspective? One of the reasons I like to use generally accepted definitions, because I, I hate it when we kind of start trying to redefine terms to fit our purposes, because we don't like it when anybody else does that, so we probably shouldn't do it either. Um, but there is a bit of a necessary um, you know, need, need for that, let's say, uh, when it comes to, to cults, um, because our analysis of cults come from a per Christian perspective. And we are not just analyzing them kind of, you know, socially and saying, well, that's outside of the norm. We are looking at them in comparison to, to God's word and, and the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. So the, the, the actually two books that I've used most in this study, and just to, if you're interested in anything, The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin, which is probably considered like the, the seminal work for, uh, you know, dealing with cults uh, in the evangelical Christian world. Uh, and then also uh, the late Walter Martin uh, wrote a, a, a book called The New Age Cult, uh, you know, dealing specifically with, with the New Age. I want to give you a, a definition here that Martin gives, and this is a good working definition. It basically agrees with what we've just said, but then he also, uh, you know, takes it in, in a particularly Christian uh, vein. He said, 
And he, he uses here the, the definition of cult by a guy named Dr. Charles Braddon, uh, who is somebody who wrote on cults uh, years and years ago. And Braddon said, a cult, as I define it, is any religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to the belief and practices from those religious groups which are, are regarded as normative expressions of religion in our total culture. In other words, he's basically saying the same thing as as the definitions we just read. Martin then adds this phrase. He says, I may add to this that a cult might also be defined as a group of people gathering about a specific person or person's misinterpretation of the Bible. So from a Christian perspective, basically Martin just adds that one phrase, that a cult is not only a group of people that are kind of outside of the, the norm of society, but from a Christian perspective, they also are a group of people that tend to gather around someone's misinterpretation of the Bible. Uh, and when he's talking misinterpretation, you know, based on, on, not that we all agree on interpretation of the Bible, but there is a general core that all true Christians believe. And, and what Martin is saying is this falls outside of that core. All right? They, they, they do not hold to the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. Uh, and, and, and that is what we will see here as we go through today. Now, some characteristics. One is authoritarian control. Cults want to build maximum dependence, uh, you know, uh, of, upon the cult. They, they, they want to make everybody inside the cult depend upon the leaders of the cult and the cult itself. Okay, that's one of the, the first characteristics. And by the way, it's very important, you know, we, I think sometimes we look at some of this and we say, well, really, you know, what, I'm, I'm not a part of a cult, so what does this have to do with me? You know, one of the, 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 the hunting grounds for cults is Christianity, especially amongst young people, because many young people go through Christianity and, and either because no one was ever willing to try to give them the answers to the questions that they asked, which happens all the time. You know, or, or they, you know, things were kind of so legalistic that, you know, they, they, they felt like, you know, really put upon and, and, and no, you know, nobody really cared about them. Or things are so kind of liberal and nobody, you know, really believes in anything and cares about anything and, and they're not finding any kind of answers for life. You know, it, it can happen from both ends of the spectrum when it comes to, to Christianity. And young people oftentimes come out of, a, of growing up in a church with negative attitudes toward the church. Maybe it was simply things they saw happen in the church that were very ungodly. And they're looking for answers, and man, that's the kind of people the cults are looking for. Most of the Western cults, not all of them by any stretch, but, but a great many of them are centered around the Bible and misinterpretations of the Bible bad theology in the Bible. And, you know, kids that grow up in a church don't get grounded, don't get their, their you know, find what they're looking for there, don't get their questions answered, and, and, and they'll run right into the arms of the cults, and you hear story after story after story of this happening. It's very interesting that, you know, in the course of studying this, I, I'm flipping through the channels the other night, and what happens to come on one of like the like the news channel type, not not the you know the daily news, but the news channels. Uh, 
I don't even remember what it was, but it was an expose and cult. So I sat there and I watched it. And they talked about three different cults, and two out of the three were based on misunderstandings and misinterpretations of Scripture. All basically, most of them uh, preying on the young. Now they would, you know, accept people that weren't young, but mostly preying on the young. So Christians do need to pay attention to this. You know, and, and, and there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of cults out there. Yeah, you can't, you can't possibly keep up with who they all are. But they are all out there, like, kind of all the time. So authoritarian control. They wanted to control their people. Extreme beliefs is another one. Beliefs that are not generally accepted by more accepted religions. And again, the, the target is, mo- is mostly Christianity, but there are others too. Uh, but, but, you know, they, they are outside of the normative beliefs of, you know, the, the, the kind of major religions of the world. Uh, they're usually trying to spin off of one of those things, uh, but, but they would, you know, they would never, uh, you know, never really believe in, in, in the kind of the norms, let's say, of Christianity. They especially misquote and redefine the Bible. I, I mean, called after called after called as you read about them, I mean, that is what they're built on, is, try, is taking Bible verses, reinterpreting it, give it, giving it their meaning, taking different doctrines and reinterpreting those doctrines and giving them their meaning, uh, you know, and, and kind of trying to suck people in and say, hey, we're Christians too. We, you know, we, we believe in the same thing you do, but they got it wrong. So-and-so is a prophet, and this is what he says, you know, and, and, and so that... that uh, that is, is another common uh, characteristic of, of, of the cults. Uh, again, let me uh, read something here from, uh, from Dr. Martin um, about this. He says, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses are for the most part followers of the interpretations of Charles T. Russell and J.F. Rutherford. The Christian scientist of today is a disciple of Mary Baker Eddy and her interpretations of Scripture. The Mormons, by their own admission, adhere to those interpretations found in the writings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. It would be possible to go on citing many others, such as the Unity School of Christianity, which follows the theology of Charles and, Myr- and Myrtle Fillmore. From a theological viewpoint, the cults contain many major deviations from historic Christianity. Yet, paradoxically, they continue to, to insist that they are entitled to be classified as Christian. Now, not all cults in, insist on that, but many do, okay? And, and so, you know, you guys get the point. Uh, they, they try to uh, kind of uh, use these kind of techniques. Another is isolation from society, especially from fr- family, friends, and the clergy. You know, cults will try to take their, their, their new kind of initiates and immediately isolate them from their family. That's the, the first key one. Unless their family is also involved in the cult. But if the family is not, they want to keep them away from their family. They want to keep them away from their closest friends. And they certainly do not want the pastor coming to call. I mean, they, 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 that is, they, those are the ones they try to keep them away from. Because they do not want anybody who's going to give them any, you know, any true love, any true, you know, any, tr- any truth, they do not want that coming. And so they isolate them. 
And anybody that's ever read anything about the psychology of isolation understands that when you start isolating people, uh, especially from people that they know and who love them, it becomes an easy way to control them. And that's what it's all about is control. Okay? It's all about control. Another thing is the veneration of a single individual or small ruling group, sometimes including their designated successors. Cults are generally built around one or two or sometimes a small group of leaders that, that begin the cult, uh, and they become like the prophet, or even in some cults are considered God, okay? Many cults have been built around false messiahs, and this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus warned us about this, did he not? You know, that, that many, you know, false messiahs would be out there, many would be coming. And so the, the world has been filled with false messiahs. And, and man, I, I mean, as you read through a, a list of the cults, that, is, that is, is prevalent in so many. Uh, but even if they don't take that position that they're a messiah, they often take the position that they're a prophet of some sort. Um, some cults are very far out that, you know, take the position that they're like an alien from some other planet and they've got all kind of hidden knowledge and so there it can get pretty crazy but the whole key is to make people dependent upon that person and their interpretation of things and what they say is true and again it's often handed down down to successors some cults go on for many many years you know because they'll hand it down to you know, they, they, they build in a, a kind of a, a system of succession. Some cults don't. Some cults, the moment the key leader dies or is arrested, uh, the cult just kind of falls apart. So it's, it's different, but, but the, the whole, you know, the thing that's common is they venerate a single individual or a small ruling group. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I, I put down here, how do we evaluate them? Well, we, we evaluate them by, by God's word and the accepted core of historic Christianity. Again, that, we all know that, that in the world of Christianity, we do not always all agree on doctrine. That's not what we're talking about. Like, like we are talking about what is kind of the, the, the core of Christian doctrine that virtually all denominations share in what, you know, one way or another. Uh, you know, we're talking about the doctrine of God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're talking about the doctrine of sin and salvation. We're talking about the doctrine of the Bible in particular. I mean, you know, we know that, that we don't all agree on all these things, but there is a certain core of agreement that we have. That Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that is the only way to get to heaven. Hey, there's some that believe that they can lose their salvation. They have to work to keep the salvation. Some believe that, that you know, works and faith have to go together. Others believe that faith has to go together. What they all agree with is that faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is absolutely essential in some way or another. The cults will not believe that. You know, they will not believe that. Yeah, and so... This is kind of what C.S. Lewis would call mere Christianity. He, he didn't mean mere as in it was meaningless. He meant mere as in what it, if you boil it all down to, to the, the essential things in Christianity, this is what we can hold in common amongst different denominations, different viewpoints. 
Well, the cults will disagree with that core. They will disagree with mere Christianity. And they will try to redefine that core. And so the way that we as Christians evaluate the cults is we evaluate it through the, the, the fundamental doctrines of the faith, mere Christianity. We evaluate it through what God's word says. That is our, not only is that our ticket for evaluation, that is also how we defend against the cults, both from an apologetic standpoint of trying to, to witness to, to cultists, which can be extraordinarily difficult. Walter Martin spent a lifetime, you know, just a, a brilliant man, spent a lifetime interacting with cults and cultists and trying to be a witness to cultists. Very admirable man, you know, and, and spent a lifetime doing this and said, this is extremely hard. The guy had like a PhD in comparative religions. Like very few people in the, in the evangelical world knew the world of religious religions around us like Walter Martin did. And he still found cult evangelism extraordinarily difficult. So, it, it, you know, it is not an easy thing to do. And I say that knowing that, I mean, I don't know any situations in any of your, house, your, your families, but I know that probably somebody sitting here has had someone in, a, in a, a friend or a family situation who's gotten involved in a cult in some way. It's just the sheer odds of it. There, there, there's, there's good odds that somebody has. You know, and so you may have had that experience of trying to talk to them. They, they're not interested in reason. They're not. Um, and so if you want to defend your children and your grandchildren against cults, if you want to defend yourself against cults, no the word. Know what you believe. Know mere Christianity. Understand your faith. Make your faith your own. Help your children to do that. Help your grandchildren to do that. That will guard them against the cults. It is mostly those who do not understand their faith or have been, have felt, you know, alienated from their faith in some way who walk into the cult. So know what you believe. Again, let me, let me read a note here from Dr. Martin. He's talking here about kind of, you know, his approach to, to things here. He says, my approach is quite honestly theological in its orientation with the aim at contrast and reaffirmation in view. And he, he quotes an, another person here who did a lot of work on the cults, Dr. Jan Van Balen, is correct when he says that the cults are the unpaid bills of the church. I thought, whew, that's quite a statement, but it's also true. You know, the, the, the cults are the failure of the church. So they, are, uh, uh, they are this and more, for they are a challenge to the church to affirm once again, the great principles and foundations of the gospel of Christ and to make them meaningful to the present generation. There can be no doubt that the great trend in religion is syncretistic, which means blending religions together, okay? Or a type of homogenization of religions, such as the great historian Ar Arnold Toynbee ha has more than once suggested. We are consistently uh, being told in, in books 
uh, articles, council pronouncements, and ecumenical enclaves that, that we must play down the things that divide us and emphasize those things that make for, for unity. It says, this is all well and good if we are speaking about a firm foundation of doctrinal, moral, and ethical truth, and if we are speaking about true unity within the body of Christ. Like he's saying, we can agree on the core and not agree on some of the other things. That's fine. You know, we should get along when it comes to that. But if that's not what it's talking about, though, uh, then we have a problem. He says, but if, as some suggest, this is, a, uh, uh, is broadened to include those who are not in agreement with the essentials of biblical Christianity, we must resolutely oppose it. And he has an interesting note here, which I, I would have never expected. I was actually really glad to hear. Uh, he says, it is most interesting to note that the National Council of Churches and the World Council of Churches which constitute the spearhead of the ecumenical movement throughout the world, have consistently denied membership to the cults under study in this volume on the ground that they do not recognize or worship Jesus Christ as God and Savior. I was shocked when I read that, to be honest with you. But I was gladdened that even the most ecumenical, you know, uh, kind of movements within the large umbrella of Christianity have denied the, the, this, those same cults membership because they're like, you do not share the common core of biblical truth. You know, and so that's kind of how, you know, how things are, are, are analyzed by us as Christians. Now, I want to make, um, you know, just a, a quick note here, the importance of language and definitions in particular. As I've said, you know, Cults will redefine terms, and so you may be talking to someone who is involved in a cult in some way, and they may be saying to you back the same terms that you're used to hearing. And the tendency is to say, oh, yeah, well, hey, we're all right then. That may not be the case at all, because what they mean by those terms may not be what you mean by those terms. And so if you have suspicions that someone you know is involved in, in, you know, kind of a nefarious group out there, and you get the opportunity to speak to them. When they start telling you, hey, I believe in Jesus, ask them what about Jesus they believe in. If I, be I believe God's word, ask them what, you know, what word of God do they believe in? Is it the interpretation of their cult leader? Or do they believe like the same Bible that you believe? You know, uh, I, Pin them down. Try to get to a point of, of, of common understanding. You know, be, because they will redefine terms almost constantly. They, you know, Martin, uh, he goes on to, to comment on this uh, about kind of the, the lack of, um, the inability and unwillingness to, to basically deal in, in reason quite often. He says, first and foremost, the belief systems of the cults are characterized by closed-mindedness. They are not interested in a rational cognitive evaluation of the facts. The organizational structure interprets the facts to the cultist, generally invoking the Bible and or its respective founder as the ultimate source of its pronouncements. Such belief systems are in isolation. They never shift to a logical consistency. They exist in what might be described as separate compartments in the cultist's mind and are almost incapable of penetration or disruption of the individual cultist, um, is com if, if the individual cultist is completely committed to the authority pattern of his organization. 
Second, cult, cultic belief systems are characterized by genuine antagonism on a personal level. Since the cultist almost always identifies his dislike of the Christian message with the messenger who holds such opposing beliefs. You try to talk to them, they may not be kind. They may not be accepting to what you have to say. Uh, and, and that's his point. They, they will probably not listen to reason. They're not concerned about reason. They're only concerned about what they have been told by the cult leaders that this, you know, this is truth. And that's what they believe. And they are probably going to be antagonistic toward Christianity and toward you as a Christian. Many family members have found this even amongst family. Parents who've tried to talk to a child involved in a cult and find the child hating them because of what they represent. So it can be a very disheartening thing for, for believers who have loved ones involved in a cult. Now, three trends that Dr. Martin points out in, in, in cults here, and I thought this was very, uh, very interesting. It says, in the course of working with cultists, it has been the observation of this writer that each cultist, though different as an individual, does share certain psychological traits in common with his fellow members. And a careful study of these similarities has revealed some interesting trends. It is not possible in one chapter to cover all of the cult systems. So we have limited our observations, and he talks about three here, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Christian scientists. He says, the Jehovah's Witnesses represent cult systems that put strong emphasis upon eschatology and prophecy. So one of the common categories that you see amongst cultists is end time scenarios. Some cults are very focused on prophecy and on the end time, okay? And their whole cult system is built around some impending kind of doom that is coming. You know, and, and, and he, it said Jehovah's Witnesses would kind of fall in, into that, that category. The Mormons represent those that emphasize priestly authority, secret rituals, and symbols. Some build like an entire priesthood and, and have, you know, a lot of secret kind of, you know, things that take place and secret symbols that only the initiate knows. You'll find that many of the cults are very similar in some ways to ancient Gnosticism, the idea of ancient, lang uh, ancient uh, history that, that, and, and truth that nobody really knows except the initiate. Okay, and, and that's how some cults tend to work. Christian science, uh, the Gnostic cults, which ground their experience in metaphysical pantheism and, and physical healing a fact which uh, contains within itself enough material to merit an entire book on the problem of psychosomatic medicine and healing. And uh, uh, Christian science was built around the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy and, and her kind of false interpretation of the Bible. Uh, you know, and, and that is a key to healing. That was like one of her major, major things. So, you know, basically Martin says that, that, that in his experience of working with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cults and, and thousands of cultists, they tend to fall within those three categories. You know, uh, either very doomsday, very kind of priest-like and, and secret organizations, or they tend to be very Gnostic in like their, you know, of, of 
like kind of secret truths that are hidden, and a lot of it has to do with healing and, and kind of what it can do for you, you know, physically or mentally. You know, so that, that's kind of like, you know, they tend to fall within those categories. Uh, types of cults, uh, and this was actually interesting. This is from a secular source, and I thought they really did a, a good d- job. One, doomsday cults, and again, we've talked a little bit about that. That's something similar, uh, you know, to when we said about eschatology and end times things. I've listed a couple uh, examples there in relatively modern times, the Branch Davidians and Heaven's Gate. You guys probably, you know, some of you anyways may remember those things. Some of you are probably a little too young for, for that. But uh, uh, the Branch Davidians and the whole Waco compound, they were a doomsday cult built around David Koresh as, as, as basically a messiah uh, and, and armed to the teeth because of like the, the doomsday that was that was coming. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the um, oh, their name went out of my head, the Heaven's Gate, uh, you know, the, the teachings of Bonnie Nettles and, and um, Applewhite, I can't think of his first name. But basically, you know, they, they also believed that, that the end was coming, a doomsday was coming, and they ultimately, all the cultists committed suicide, you know, uh, drank poison. Uh, because this, this end was coming, and that was going to allow them, their spirits were going to attach to a comet that was coming near the earth, and they were going to fly off to, like, their paradise. And that cost the life of everybody that was involved in the cult. So doomsday cults are, are common. Political cults, and, 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 and that, you know, we may often not often think of that, but sometimes uh, political followings where people get, you know, convinced that one person is kind of like, you know, they're the political messiah. They're going to, to, to solve all our problems. And sometimes those things turn into cults. They, they, they not only cult in a kind of, a kind of the way we use the term in, in, in modern society, but they can literally turn into cult followings. One of the elements of the Manson family was political. It was trying to bring about a, a race war uh, on, on America that was going to, you know, lead to some sort of utopia. You know, and so some cults are very political in, in you know, in the way that they, they approach things. Uh, the, you know, the Moonies, the Unification Church, to, to the great dismay of me as a conservative, the Moonies have become very involved in conservative politics given enormous amounts of money to conservative candidates, and many conservative candidates have gone and spoke at, at, at unification church events, not even knowing most, a lot, well, I, let's put it this way, I, I hope they don't know. Most of them, I don't believe, have known what they were getting themselves into. Some have known, clearly have known, and done it anyways because they're giving them lots of money. So, hey, you know, it happens on both sides of the political aisle. You know, left and right, and people can become involved in, in a lot of this stuff. They're, they're, we have a Savior as Christians. We've got a Savior. We're not looking for another one. If you are, you need to correct your thinking. We already have one. You know, and, and so don't get caught up in this. Another is sex cults. Now, sexual proclivity is involved in a lot of cults. Sexual abuse is rampant in cults, absolutely rampant. 
the show I, I was telling you about and I watched, at least two out of those three cults were actively involved in, 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 like in sexual abuse, especially of, of children. Horrific. Absolutely horrific. And these were three cults that were relatively, these were like, like not some of the bigger ones that people know of. These, you know, and, and it just, it was horrible, some of the things that took place in, in, in these cults. Uh, and, and so sexual cults are, uh, you know, can be, be, you know, very much a part of things. Um, and there was one, it, it, you see it listed there, NXIVM, that is not how it's, it's pronounced. Um, I, I can't, I think it's something like Nexium is how they pronounce it. Uh, and it was a cult that, ju- this is relatively recent in New York around this kind of venture capitalist who convinced all these people that he could like, you know, solve their problems if they just followed him. And, and, and within the larger cult itself, he had a little small cult for just the women and he would actually brand them with his initials and they basically became his sex slaves. And this was just in the news in the last, like, handful of years. So, folks, this is, you know, this is out there. This, this, these things really happen. And then also religious cults, which obviously we know about. And, and again, I put down a couple uh, examples. Jim Jones, the whole Johnstown, you, you know, those of you who are older remember that. When, you know, when, when basically all, the phrase that we say, drinking the Kool-Aid, you know where that comes from? Johnstown Massacre. Because they all drank poison Kool-Aid and they all died, okay, because they knew that they were about to be arrested. Well, he knew he was about to be arrested and his gig was up and, and so he wanted to take all of them with him and he did, all right? Um, so the whole uh, Jim, Jim Jones and the People's Temple and again, the Unification Church that is involved in politics, but they are also a religious cult that, that claims to be a part of Christianity and Sun Young Moon, the, the leader of the call, that's why they're called the Moonies, uh, Sun Young Moon uh, sees himself or saw himself, he's dead now, uh, as, the, as the Messiah. Okay? So religious cults. And then on the back you see I have a list of other cults for you, uh, you know, and, and, and some of them also would fit into the category of false religions. The difference really between the two is... is the false religions have been around for many of them, thousands of years, and have been accepted by billions and billions of people. So they've come to be kind of part of like what is seen as the normative, you know, religions in the world. Things like Hindu and Buddhism and Islam, uh, and so they're not necessarily they don't really fit the definition of what a cult is. Now, as I said, some some writers on cults will include them just to kind of a, a way of you know, including everything. Uh, but but they, they don't fit a textbook definition for a cult. They are false. You know, they are false. They do not agree with Christianity. Uh, but, but, you know, technically they would be considered a false religion. Uh, and I've also listed some, uh, you know, some, some other things there, basically dealing with New Age. Real quickly, that's kind of what I want to talk about. Um, I, I want to really, I want to define the occult, real, real briefly, because so many New Age groups kind of touch on that. Uh, if you look at your definitions, Oxford Languages says a supernatural, myst- mystical, or magical beliefs, practices, or phenomenon. Merriam-Webster are matters regarded as involving the action or influence of supernatural or supernormal powers 
or some secret knowledge of them. Uh, and so there, that, that's basically what the definition of the occult is. Supernatural, mystical, magical, uh, you know, things dealing with, with supernatural or supernormal powers uh, or some secret knowledge of those types of things. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the occult. And I said we'll deal more with that next week when we talk about, you know, kind of what the Bible says about some of, some of the, the, the interesting things that are there in the Bible is, is what we're going to explore next week. You know, things like giants and witches and things like that that you might not expect is actually in your Bible. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that next week, and, and so we'll talk more about the occult. Now, as far as trying to define new age, wow, is this hard to define. Um, there's just no easy definition. Uh, again, Oxford Languages, a broad movement characterized by alternative approaches to, to traditional Western culture with an interest in, in spirituality, mysticism, holism, and environmentalism. Uh, let me read quickly uh, Wikipedia. Uh, again, they do a, a, actually a really good job, I think, on, on, on this uh, particular one. I bet a lot of you guys didn't even know I could do this, did you? There's your big surprise for the day. <laughs> if I can get it to work, my phone doesn't even work half the time. Mark's probably back here. He's usually my tech guru. <laughs> He's like, I taught him well. This new age is a range of spiritual or religious practices and beliefs which rapidly grew in Western society during the early 1970s. It began as an influx of Hindu and Buddhist religions into the West. It, it highly, it's highly eclectic, uh, which means it's kind of hidden, okay, the idea of hidden truth, um, uh, and, and unsystematized uh, structure makes a precise definition difficult. Even the ones defining it are saying it's difficult, and that's what they kind of all said the same thing. Although many scholars consider it a religious movement, its adherents typically see it as spiritual or unifying, as unifying mind, body, and spirit, and rarely use the term New Age themselves. Okay, so that'll give you an idea of what the New Age is. Um, it's, it's very difficult to kind of pin down. Uh, it's kind of a general catch-all term that we use. Now, some of the characteristics and beliefs. One, it is very pantheistic. Now, what am I talking about when I'm talking about pantheism? Well, turn to your definition side. Pantheism is essentially that God is all and all is God. Pantheists only believe that one thing exists in all of existence. This goes back to ancient Brahmanism and Hinduism that, that grew out of Brahmanism. They, they believe the only thing that exists is Brahma, okay? So I am a part of Brahma, that chair is a part of Brahma, a leaf of grass is a part of Brahma, we are all just a part of Brahma, and he dreams our existence. That's, we don't really exist. That, that, that's Hinduism in, in, a, in a nutshell, that, that nothing exists, and salvation to them is coming to the point after many, many lifetimes of realizing you don't exist. And when you realize you don't exist, you're absorbed back into Brahma. You guys get the, the that, that's, what, that's what pantheism is. And it's, it's most common uh, manifestation is in Hinduism. But 
you'll hear a lot of pantheistic talk, man. I, I tell you, it's amazing sometimes when I'm, I'm listening to TV and I'm listening to somebody and it's like, wow, you know, they, they have no idea that what they're talking about right now is very pantheistic. The next one is a little bit more difficult, panentheistic. You're like, what the world is panentheistic? Panentheism is the world is in God, but God is greater than the world. Okay, like, like pantheism believes that everything that exists is, and they wouldn't even use the term God. They, they believe that's too limiting. There's just one thing that exists. Pan, panentheism is very similar to that, but it believes that God is in this chair. God is in me. God is in this podium, but th- that does not encompass all of who God is. In other words, he's broader than that. And I've got like a, a nifty little, uh, I thought it was nifty, little drawing down there to help you out. The first drawing is theism, which is what we believe. As you see, there's God and then an arrow pointing to the universe. God created the universe, but the universe is separate from God. We are real, true human beings. This podium is real. The trees are real. God created real, separate things that are not a part of him. He is not in them. That He created them. He is the creator God, okay, and created real things. But they are separate from him. As you look, the next one there is panentheism, where you see that God is the big, larger oval, and within him is the universe. Okay, God is larger than it, but it, he, it's, he is inside of it, and it is inside him. And then, as you see, pantheism just believes there's one big, great, big blob. God and, and the universe are all just one, okay? So hopefully that helps you understand. So when I'm talking about these things, that's what I'm talking about. Another characteristic is monism. Monism is very similar to uh, pantheism. It's that only one thing exists. All reality uh, is essentially a unified whole. This is both material and spiritual. Um, You know, there's no real distinctions. In other words, a blade of grass, a leaf on a tree, and a human being are all just basically the same thing. We're all part of just one larger whole. So as you can see, monism and pantheism oftentimes are together. And you see that term used a lot, you know, monistic pantheism or pantheistic monism, one of the two. Many, in fact, most of the New Age, is either, it, it, you know, almost all of them are monists. Most of them are either pantheist, pantheist or panentheist. You know, that is where they're, that is, is kind of, it's basically going back to Hinduism. And Buddhism, which grew out of Hinduism. It's trying to be absorbed back into, you know, the one thing that exists, the one real reality. And that's what almost all New Age is about. Okay? All becoming gods or part of the all. And when they say someone's becoming a god, you know, they, they just, here's one of the interesting things about Hinduism, and they take this from Hinduism. Hinduism literally has millions of gods, millions of them. And if somebody doesn't like the gods that are there, they can just create one, make one up. Hinduism has been the the most difficult mission field for for Christian missionaries, simply because it absorbs everything into it. They believe that Jesus was, you know, was God, but only, only a God. 
But see, the problem is they don't even believe any of the gods really exist on their own. They're just all a part of Brahma. They're manifestations of the one thing that exists. So they just believe that Jesus is just one manifestation of, of the one reality in the world. Okay? That's why they're, they're very difficult, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to kind of break through. Um, let me um, read something to you. I thought this was an, uh, an interesting quote. It says, the turbulent 60s provided the perfect atmosphere for what we now uh, recognize as the New Age movement or the New Age cult. A neo-Orthodox theologian, Nels Fair, uh, correctly predicted the influx of Eastern and Indian philosophy and theology that, characteri uh, that characterized that decade and concluded that the, important, or the imported ideas would be a major challenge to historic Christianity. And he was right. Uh, he was He was right. The great English apologist and writer C.S. Lewis saw the battle lines clearly drawn. This is what Lewis said about this. He noted that in the final conflict between religions, Hinduism and Christianity would offer the only viable options because Hinduism absorbs all the religious systems and Christianity excludes all the others, maintaining the supremacy of the claims of Jesus Christ. So C.S. Lewis recognized this in like in the 50s and 60s, that when it the battle, when it all boils down, it's going to boil down to the ones that absorb everything or the one that keeps everything out except the one core truth. And that, man, that is pretty much where the battle is fought, between Christianity and all the ones trying to, to just suck everything into it. It's like Hinduism is like a spiritual black hole, just sucks it all in. And, and that, that is what, the New Age movement is really all about. Time Magazine at one point did a cover story of it, and it was not supportive necessarily, by the way. And, and, and they, they talked about various different things, and they said one thing that is certain about all this, you know, so much is not certain and hard to define, but one thing is certain, they said this is not new. It, it, it's as ancient as ancient gets, you know. One thing they use in order to help people become gods or part of the, 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 you know, the all is altered states of consciousness. Uh, they, they use meditation, tarot, astrology, crystals, channeling where uh, you know, spirit guides will channel like uh, ancient masters that, that help them, uh, help their people get to, to, you know, to enlightenment. Again, you're gonna, a lot of this is going to sound very, very similar to, you know, to, to, to Hinduism. And, and that's exactly what it is. It's very similar. So when you see things like, you know, like tarot and astrology and crystals and things like that, um, th those are all very much a part of the New Age movement. Many of them are also a part of, of ancient spiritism, which is like belief in magic. And, and so, that, you know, sometimes they... You see a lot of interaction between these, these ideas and these groups, okay? And it's that whole idea of becoming a god or becoming, uh, how many of you remember like Shirley MacLaine and a lot of the crazy books that she started to write? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what they were all about is her journey to becoming, you know, kind of, kind of the, the god within. But at the other side of that is that it's just all part of like, you know, one thing that exists. 
you know. So that that's that's kind of where uh, the new age is heading. Belief in reincarnation is also a, a part of it. They like again, like the Hindus and like many parts of the occult, they believe that people are reincarnated and come back and for many lives because most people don't, you know, in their in their point of view, finish this journey in one lifetime. All right, so that that's what's you know, behind a lot of this. I'm going to skip the, the quote I have there. We're just running out of time. Now, I want to read what the Bible has to say about this. And this is just one passage. But this was what God said to the children of Israel before they went into Canaan. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 4. It says, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth spirits of the dead. Anyone who does those things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. The Bible is absolutely clear. And that's just one passage. The Bible is absolutely clear. We are not to have anything to do with these things. Okay? That's, that, you know, I'm... I can't tell you how heartbreaking it is when you have somebody, like a Christian, come up to you and say, well, yeah, I was looking at my horoscope the other day. Oh, my gosh, you just want to cry. You, you know, please, please none of you ever do that. <laughs> please. Uh, don't have anything to do with stuff like that. You know, it's absolutely biblically forbidden. So much of what you see in the occult is, is talking about the age of Aquarius. Guys, how many remember the old song, the age of Aquarius? So that's what that song was about, the belief that a new era was coming, the dawning of a new age, that this new age would bring peace and prosperity to everyone. Uh, it's all kind of part of that new age viewpoint that, you know, that, that this Aquarian age is coming where everything is going to be perfect and fine and dandy because, you know, humankind is finally going to become kind of the gods that they were always meant to be. Now, I want you guys to just think for a second. The Bible says Satan is a liar and the father of lies. We've been talking in, in this class, what, what, was, what was man created to be? Not gods, but the sons and children of God. Co-rule, God's co-rulers over this world that he's created? See, Satan didn't have to go far from the truth to get his lie, did he? He's saying the same lies he told, told Adam and Eve in the garden, isn't he? Hey, if you take of that, you won't surely die. You'll become like God. Guys, nothing about this is new. Nothing about it is new. It's the same old thing just repackaged in a new packaging. It's been the fight that's going on ever since Satan and, and 
you know, the, the angels or sons of God, whichever you prefer, whichever one you believe, well, you know, since they fell. You know, and, and, and it's, that's been the battle. That's been the battleground. The lines have been pretty clearly drawn throughout, throughout human history. And it, it's still the battleground. Now, last thing I want to say, just a real brief kind of note on yoga and on the martial arts. They are, yoga is a part of Hinduism. It's a way of altering consciousness. Okay? The martial arts came out of Buddhism. And yes, it was a means of self-defense, but it was also, uh, you know, a, a means of spirituality. And many people that are really committed to yoga or the martial arts are very committed to the spiritual side of it. Now, some, some Christians believe it's okay for Christians to do these practices as long as you're not involved in the, in the spiritual side. Some do not. Some believe it should be forbidden. I don't necessarily take the forbidden side, but I will say this. I think you need to be very, very careful. I, I don't think learning the stretches of yoga and stretching in some way is, 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 is you know, going to harm anything. In fact, the stretching is in, and the breathing is probably good for you. But if they start talking about, like, you know, letting your energy flow and your chakras and all that other stuff don't have anything to do with that class. Because that is Hinduism. That is New Age. It comes straight out of that. Don't have anything to do with it. There's nothing wrong with you being involved in the martial arts, but if they start talking about you know, basically Buddhist teachings, you know, you, the, you, having your mind and body become one and your energy centers and all that kind of stuff, don't get involved. Find a class that doesn't do that. You can find those classes. Not, not all martial artists, not all, you know, yoga instructors believe in the spiritual side of it. They don't. Find one that doesn't. Don't get involved in one that does. Because there's just too much danger of you being sucked into things like that. You know, do I care if you read a, 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 a you know, Harry Potter or something? No, I don't care because that's all false, fake stuff. It's a story. The Jews had stories about things like that, believe it or not. But don't ever get involved in any practice of anything like that. The real thing, stay away from. You know, discernment. Again, know what you believe. Know what God's word says. That will be your guide. You, you literally do have a Holy Spirit living inside you. And he can take the things that you learn from God's word and the things you learn about what we believe as Christians, and he can be your guide on those things. Again, everybody, every teacher is a little different on this. Some would say, nope, just don't get involved in any of it at all. Others would say, no, it's okay under certain circumstances. I kind of lean more that way because I, my personal opinion, I don't want to give Satan any more credit than he deserves. And I don't think you can get into a physical position in some way that's gonna, that's, that's evil. I just don't, I, I think that's giving him far too much credit. But that's just my opinion, okay? And, and if you don't feel right about it, then don't you do it. You know, if, if, if the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is saying, hey, I think this is dangerous, stay away, then stay away. All right? You guys get it? You know, and, and um, you know, this is a vast topic, I have to tell you. This is probably the, this might be the single most daunting, uh, you know, study I've ever done. It, it's just, my gosh, it was just endless. 
uh, you know, the amount of information and trying to collate all the information into, into something that makes some sort of sense that I can give you in an hour. Um, and, and so hopefully this made sense. I, I realize, again, this is kind of rapid fire, but uh, I don't know what else other way to do it. Uh, you know, so you've just got about probably 10 hours worth of, worth of study in, 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 the last, in the last hour. So uh, hold on to those papers. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be in guard. Help your people to uh, just, just, as you say, be gentle as doves and wise as serpents. Uh, you know, there, there is a spiritual battle that's going on, and, and we don't see it oftentimes. And, and so often we just, uh, we're numb to it, and we don't see the influences all around us. I just pray that you would help us to do that. Keep us, guard us, protect us, uh, and help us to, to have our, our hearts settled on you and on what your word says and uh, on the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith. We just ask this in your precious name. Amen. By the way, as a parting note, that's why, you know, at the end of the year, beginning of the new year, we are going to do a class on basic Bible doctrine. You know, we're going to spend about 12 weeks going over basic Bible doctrine uh, to kind of like follow up this class with giving you some, some tools in your toolbox, all right? Thank you, guys.